Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents the Roundtable Podcast, episode 85. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm C.W. Lassart. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned into the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show to pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we drag it into a dark alley, rough it up and make it our bitch. We mug it until it cries for mercy. And then... We turn it into literary gold. gold. Yes, we do. Oh, that poor story. You know, and sometimes it's tough love. It's just tough love. Sometimes you got to drag the story into a back. <laughs> the guest writers in the background going, holy crap, my story. What are they going to do? <laughs> uh, Karen Lassart, uh, veteran of the round. I think that's safe to say now. Veteran of the Roundtable podcast. Horror author extraordinaire and lovely, lovely co-host. Thank you so much. This has been a blast so far and i'm really looking forward to what's coming up next thank you dave i am too (laughs) indeed and and let's not delay that any longer than we absolutely have to let's bring back our guest host dear friends from a fabulous 20 minutes with uh where we explored the sweet spot the gray zone uh and uh, uh the dark place of horror uh please welcome back to the big chair here at the round table brian kirk brian dude 20 minutes with was fabulous, and I cannot tell you how delighted I am at the prospect of brainstorming a story with you, man. Thanks for coming back and making the time. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I'm excited. Oh, yes. We all are. In fact, you can if you listen, <laughs> the whole potosphere is holding its breath in anticipation. Right. But we're gonna okay. we're gonna drag that out just a little bit because I'm I'm curious, Brian. Your first book, We Are Monsters, just hit the stands uh, uh, scant weeks ago. I can only imagine the froth that is your life right now. I know you've got a, a, a dark thriller trilogy in the works. I What's coming up for you, man? What's what's on the slate for for Brian Kirk? Well, thank you. Yeah, you. I mean, you hit the two big ones. Um, <laughs> a lot of my attention is around promoting the, my debut uh, release, "We Are Monsters." You know, really excited about that. Obviously, it's been endorsed by a great group of uh, authors who I admire oh, yeah. uh, quite a bit. So, um, and you know, and reader feedback has been really positive and encouraging. So, feeling good. You know, hoping uh, people will take the time to check it out. I uh, have a publicity page on my website if people want to go kind of follow along with with the publicity tour that I have going on right now. Very cool. Uh, what's what's the URL for that? Uh BrianKirkblog.com. And then on that page I have a uh well on that site I have a page for Wear Monsters publicity tour. And then I it just has by week which website I'll be on, you know, the, the topic either you know an interview or an article and what what the topic is. So so it's Very pretty cool. easy to follow along on a week-to-week basis, and I update it uh, as soon as something posts. Well, now, just let me interject here. I know there are like at least a few of my listeners who are so lethargic that actually typing in that URL as they're listening is just going to be too much work for them. Uh, so, <laughs> so why don't you give the, give us give us the back of jacket blurb uh, uh, and tease and entice us with what We Are Monsters is about? Sure. Well, I guess the elevator on it. It's um. It's basically about a psychiatrist who is uh, attempting to create a cure for schizophrenia uh, that winds up to cause people's inner demons to manifest into the material realm. Oh, damn. So, <laughs> yeah. 
So, you know, but, but the kind of twist on it is it's in this um, mental hospital where not only the patients, but the doctors have to undergo the same treatment. It kind of creates this environment where everyone's inner demons kind of manifest. And it, it, it turns out, you know, it, it's, it's a book where the doctors, you know, the doctors become the patients. And it's, it's, they're the ones with the real work that they have to get through. That um, sounds intriguing and utterly chilling, dude. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, Very so far cool. so good. I'm happy with it, so I, I hope other people are as well. Outstanding. And then now, speak unto us of this upcoming dark thriller. Yeah, I appreciate that. So I'm, I'm currently writing the second book in uh, a trilogy of, of dark kind of sci-fi-ish thrillers in the vein of uh, maybe Philip K. Dick, in that they're, you know, kind of mind-bending, reality-warping type material. The first book is done and is currently being considered by uh, a few agents who have requested the manuscript. So I don't know if you have any agents uh, among your, uh, your audience, but if you do um, and they're listening, feel free to give me a call if you haven't received my query. I'd be happy to pitch it to you or send you uh, that query letter. Well, I guarantee you that, that whether or not we have agents, we have listeners who have agents and who know right. agents. So so there you go, Roundtable Street crew. Get on that and make sure uh, that, that, that those contacts you have know that, that Brian Kirk is shopping some, some Philip K. Dick-esque dark thriller goodness out there. Very cool. Can you tell us anything at all about it or would that be? I can, of course. You know, I'm so superstitious. <laughs> sure, sure. It just feels like it steals some energy, for, even though it's a completed piece of work. I don't know what it is. And no. I haven't got the elevator on it yet. I mean, I have my query down so I could read that out. No, uh, no, no. Let's not jinx it. Let's not jinx it at all. No, I, I, it's, it's, like, it's like baseball. You know, you respect the streak. So right. let, let's absolutely that. respect the streak. What about uh, uh, conferences or conventions? Are you, do you make those scenes at all? I'm going to be. Yeah. My, my publisher is a, um, the lead sponsor for a lot of uh, conferences. They're the lead sponsor for like the World Horror Convention and they have one coming up in September in Indianapolis as Horror Hound, and they have a huge table there. So I'm going to be making that appearance, uh, doing signings and helping uh, sell books. I need to look into – I'm sure I'll do StokerCon next year. I haven't uh, <laughs> signed up for it yet. But, yeah, i got, I got to get bigger on the conference tour. For instance, uh, at the World Horror this last year in uh, Atlanta, I actually got invited to submit a story for an anthology that's coming out, and I just received my acceptance for it. So that's how, yeah, conventions work. You got to go to them. Oh man, they do, and and you, you do. You walk out of there with with so much potential, and and usually at least one or two projects you didn't go in with. So yeah, yeah no that's awesome. Very cool. Um, Karen, what about you? Uh, it's it's been a little while since you've been on the round table. Is is anything developing in your writerly world? Well, first of all, I think I'm going to download We Are Monsters because <laughs> I'm just dying to read this. <laughs> it's going to be at the top of your stack, baby. <laughs> it has, it has, and also uh, after the last time we recorded, I bought myself a laptop, so I have Whoa. a better machine for Skype, and I'm feeling a little inspired. I think I'll be working on some of my. Uh, First novel material, I am working on a story currently for a, an all-woman anthology that uh, the charming Billy Sue Mosman's bringing out, and I'm really having high hopes for that. Is but there a title on this yet? Frightmares. Frightmares, awesome. Frightmares, yeah. Very cool, very cool. Excellent. So, so you've got you've got an anthology that you're working on. I know you're honing your craft. You're you're raising your own personal bar on yes. your on your work as you move forward. There. Uh, what about conferences for you? I, I know there's one in your future. Oh yes, I uh, 
Actually, the last two years, I have been completely AWOL from the conference scene. Braces for my oldest and uh, subsequent heart surgery this year for my oldest, which she's doing great. Everything's good, but that's awesome. kind of cut into it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think your priorities are in line there, Karen. Yeah. I, think, I think you're in good shape there. <laughs> good karma. But I do intend to make it to the first ever StokerCon uh, this coming spring. That's going to be in Vegas. Vegas, and I'm really baby. looking forward to that. And I hope to meet Brian there. Maybe we'll have a drink, have a coffee, whatever. I would love it. That would be awesome. And honestly, just the notion of horror writers. Yes, we've established in the 20 minutes with it. You're all jovial, warm, friendly, kind people. But a bunch of horror writers in Las Vegas really takes the whole what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas to a whole new level. I think what happens in Vegas gets buried in Vegas. That's that needs to be the logo for for the Stoker Con. Let's get the t-shirts done up on that. Very cool. Well, all right, Brian, Karen, I will make sure all of that goodness gets gets put into the liner notes with appropriate hyperlinks so that our listeners can make with the clicky click and, and start following and tracking all the awesomeness you guys are doing. But for right now, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to take a pause, give a little podcast airtime to a, to a new ebook, to to a Kickstarter program, to another podcast, something that's awesome that's out there because there's always something awesome out there. And when we come back, Brian, Karen, I want to brainstorm a story with you. What do you say? Say we do it. Let's do it. I'm down with that, too. All right, friends. Don't you guys go anywhere. We will be right back. Crack two plot points into a large mixing bowl. Add one cup oil of protagonist. Add a few drops of dialogue. Sift in three tablespoons of antagonist. Mince a few action scenes and make sure fully incorporated. Sprinkle liberally with minor characters. Stir vigorously. Drizzle in warm, buttery conflict. Pour into a 9x13 notebook. Bake at 325 degrees. Done. Writing's as easy as cooking, right? Yeah, right. Writing's not easy, and you need a break. But if you're taking a break, and you're not up for cooking either, come hang out in the disaster kitchen of The Melting Podcast. The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Micro stories. Interviews. Flash fiction stories back-to-back based on the same writing prompt. And most importantly, bad food puns. Because food makes everything better, right? Come dine at themeltingpodcast.com. Right? Welcome back, dear friends. And now we get to the the meat, the potatoes, the appetizer, and the dessert all in one. Because it's just one big massive feast here at the Roundtable. I am, of course, referring to the brainstorming segment, the workshopping of the tale. And that doesn't happen without a courageous guest writer, a creative and courageous guest writer boldly striding forward and setting the table for our brainstorming feast. And dear friends, our guest writer is a graduate of the University of Oregon and grew up reading every Dragonlance novel he could get his hands on. Now, he's a federal agent with the Department of the Treasury in Portland, Oregon. Now, he describes his job as part accountant, part cop, which... 
while being, I'm sure, vitally important to the security of the Treasury, sadly means he'll never be the subject of a television cop show. Uh, But he'll get over that, I'm sure. He's married and picked up writing after years of reading science fiction and fantasy as an outlet for the stresses of becoming a parent-to-be. Now, friends, I I need to share with you, our guest writer was actually scheduled to be on the show last June, but the morning of the recording, I, I kid you not, I received a brief email that read, Dave, my wife unexpectedly went into labor this morning. I will be unable to call as we'll be at the hospital for a couple of days. I'm really sorry to bail at the last minute. (laughs) Guys, this completely ensures his place in the RTP Fan Hall of Fame because one, (laughs) he wrote me when his wife was in labor to let me know he wasn't going to be able to make it, which is awesomely badass. But then two... He apologized for missing the show because his kid was being born. And I'm sorry, anybody with those kind of messed up priorities will always have a seat at the round table. Dear friends, please welcome RTP fan hall of famer and guest writer for this episode of the Roundtable podcast, Cameron Wall. Cam, dude... <laughs> I am so glad we were able to finally make this happen, and I'm delighted that you weren't able to make it for such a glorious event, but uh, uh, I I just got to say, I'm glad this circle came around and that you were able to step up and we could workshop your story, man. Welcome to the writer's chair. Thanks a lot, Dave. I'm really excited about today. Oh, man, I'm telling you, me too, me too, mostly because it's fulfilling the contract, Uh, uh, but but I'm I'm ready to do this. How How is your boy, by the way? He's great. He's really healthy and he's, he's two months old now. So we're just, (laughs) I'm just getting used to a few hours of sleep a night and, uh, you know, being a parent. (laughs) There you go. Sleep deprivation is actually a great creative tool. (laughs) So, so jot down whatever scribbles you can during your delusional state. Uh, but let's, let's, let's dive into this while we have you awake and conscious. Uh, you know how this works, Cam. We give you five to eight minutes. Uh, give us the title, the genre, your target audience. Introduce us to the uh, the themes. Give us a give us a hook line if you've got one. Uh, introduce us to the world and the characters. Give us some tent poles of story uh, that we can wrap our brains around, and we'll dive into a brainstorming froth. And before we do, let me just interject very briefly, uh, friends. We've actually been through this before. Everybody on the Skype line right now <laughs> is having this weird sense of deja vu uh, uh, because we recorded this thing earlier, several days ago, and through an unfortunate happenstance that I hope to God never happens again, I lost the audio. And so Brian, Cameron, and Karen all agreed to come back and do this again. Now, that's going to be tricky because we've already done a workshop of the story. And as you know, from listening to the podcast, that can be a very spontaneous ideas bouncing off of each other. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to let Cam go ahead and read his pitch. So you know the story that we're talking about. And then afterwards, we're going to briefly recap the key points that we addressed in the first workshop. And then this is going to be kind of like a graduate level thing, Cam. This could actually be kind of bad. Well, it is badass for you. You get two workshops, which is kind of cool. Uh, uh, but also for our listeners, uh, this this could be a, a really in-depth probing into a story that could be very cool. So there, I've, I've said my piece. Let's let's dive. We're, we're blazing some new trails here at the round table. And I'm always keen to do that. I'm going to stop talking. Cam, the mic is all yours, man. All right. The title of my story is Lions into Jackals. 
is epic fantasy. The hook line, the five lions, fabled super soldiers of old, were held responsible for the downfall of civilization and were shamefully renamed the jackals. Do they have what it takes to save the remnants of mankind and win back their good names in the process? The theme of the story is the consequences of loyalty and betrayal. It's a secondary world. It's medieval with some technological advances. We're going to talk about those. <laughs> Lord General Christoph Bain pioneers a secret technology to create the Five Lions, an elite band of bodyguards. Bain uses tech to make them impervious to age, disease, any wound short of beheading, and increases their strength and speed. The story is set in a world with two intertwined societies, each centered around their respective capitals. In the north is Paradisa, a walled city of lofty towers, colleges, and museums set at the base of a mountain. It is a city of artists, scholars, and stout-hearted warriors. In the south is Orion, a sprawling metropolis ruled in name by a council of high nobles, but secretly controlled by a cabal of plantation barons. Its people are conservative and independent in nature and pride themselves on their commercial prosperity and religious piety. Orion has an economic advantage over Paradisa and has a large influence over its politics. The protagonist of the story is Christoph Bain. He is a scientist and soldier who is a student of military history. Bain worked his way up through Orion's army ranks through brilliance and sheer will. A plain man of few words, Bain leads Orion's armies and created the Five Lions. He is loyal to his country, but chafes at the controlling influence of the rulers of Orion. Ilya is the queen of Paradisa. She is a ruthless but selfless woman who dreams of freedom from Orion's control for her city and her people. She is willing to use any tool at her disposal in order to achieve her goals. The Five Lions act as bodyguards for Bane. The lions are peerless in battle. The lions are a source of confidence for Bane in the face of uncertainty. Bane chose each of them because of their high levels of empathy for others. Gabriel, the stalwart leader and Bane's greatest friend. Blaze, the gifted soprano who, after a horrible accident, sings no more. Raj, the old soul with a heart of gold. Van, the mountain of a man upon which Bane built his legacy. Rook, the mass of dark curls wrapped around a core of hammered steel. Rook and Blaze are female. The lions come from different socioeconomic and cultural backgrounds. The antagonist of the story is Asher, a noble of Orion and the civilian counterpart to Bane as head of Orion's armies. Asher does what he thinks is righteous in every situation, regardless of its effects on others. Asher sees himself as something greater than a simple nobleman and fears the cold gray of anonymity above all else. Okay, for the story... Ilya knows the mountain behind her home city of Paradiso holds vast amounts of resources and the hungry rulers of Orion are looking for any reason to seize her lands. Ilya's beloved niece, Rebecca's, wants to marry her lover, the renowned warrior's arena. Ilya has long chafed at Orion's dogmatic restrictions on sexuality and sees a chance to choose her battleground with the oppressive leaders of Orion. She knows war is inevitable, so she plans a public wedding for her niece in Paradiso. The leaders of Orion send Bane to dissuade Ilya from her plan, but she throws him out when he tells her execution warrants will be issued for Rebecca's and Arena if Ilya moves forward with the wedding. The wedding is held with one of Orion's barons in attendance. As soon as Rebecca's and Arlena are wedded, the baron stands up and starts reading Rebecca's death warrant. Ilya, a vaunted warrior in her own right, 
takes a spear from one of her guards and throws it at the Baron, killing him. The crowd at the wedding rises up in rebellion as Iliad declares independence for Paradisa and dares Orion to come for her homeland. Word of the events at the wedding reaches Orion's rulers, and they send Bane and his legions to Paradisa. Bane and Ilya meet again as the army set up for the long siege. Bane and Ilya argue but quickly develop chemistry. Ilya admires Bane's rebellious streak, and he loves the wildness inside the queen. Bane and Ilya secretly fall in love and have a tryst on the mountainside overlooking Paradisa, conceiving a child. Months into the siege, little headway is made in the negotiations. By chance, one of Bane's servants sees Bane and Ilya kissing and tells Asher, the baron appointed as the de facto civilian counterpart to Bane, leading Orion's armies. Asher sees Bane as a traitor and Ilya as a rebellious disease that needs to be removed. He also sees an opportunity to usurp Bane's place within Orion's hierarchy. Asher tries to reason with Bane and get him to betray Ilya's trust in him in order to take her prisoner and end the conflict. Bane refuses, so Asher makes other plans. Asher makes contacts with elements inside Paradisa sympathetic to Orion, and Asher reigns for Bane's bodyguard, the Lion Raj, to be lured away and drugged by a servant. Guards loyal to Asher seize Bane that night and take him atop a tower within Paradisa. Asher has Bane tied to a wooden cross at the top of a tower, and with the following dawn, lights the pyre under Bane. Bane's army sees its beloved general burn above them and goes insane with grief and rage. They attack the walls of Paradisa, sustaining huge losses, and are quickly inside, slaughtering soldier and civilian alike. As Orion's soldiers put Paradisa to the sword, Prince Rowan, Ilya's only son, arrives at the city on blown horses. Rowan is an adventurer and was off chasing rumors of an ancient treasure hoard far to the east. Rowan is stopped at the Paradisa's main Entrance by the battle between the city's defenders and Orion's troops. He fights his way to Ilya and gives her one sentence to explain his rushed return to the city. I woke something up. From the east, a darkness approaches the city. As she watches her city fall around her and sees doom approach from the east, Ilya orders her soldiers to pump flammable liquids into the city's water pipes. With a match from her own hand, Ilya lights a cistern and levels her city in hopes of destroying Orion's army and whatever is approaching the city from the east. The rest of the lions are stunned by the events, but their training takes over and they grab Ilya and get out of Paradisa. They look for a place to shelter Ilya and turn an eye toward the child in Ilya's womb and its future. Asher and most of his guards survive the blast due to their hiding in tunnels under Paradisa during the battle. Asher sees an opportunity to rise to power and deifies Bane for his sacrifice, which he blames on the arrogance of the lions. Asher starts a religion around the events of Paradisa. He dubs his new religious movement the Kyrate and moves to fill the vacuum of power in Orion left by Bane's death. The land around Paradisa slowly becomes an expanding wasteland, for Ilya's fire only wounded the darkness from the east. Society pulls back until Orion, rechristened Eve by Asher's Kyrate religious masses, is believed to be the last remaining human city. The five lions who Asher blamed for the death and destruction at Paradisa are renamed the Jackals, and their new name becomes synonymous with traitor. The lions, being immortal, part ways and patiently search for a way to save society they love and earn back their good names. But that is a different tale. <laughs> Indeed it is. Indeed it is. And and real quick, Cam, uh, what, do you, what are you hoping to get out of this, this second round of, of brainstorming and workshopping into your story? Well, I, 
I got some great feedback the first time we talked, and I've already started to make some changes in my mind. Um, but I want to hear what everybody else ha- has had to think about over the last couple of days. Um, and I just want to see how they perceive this story. And, and number one, I want to have some more fun. It was awesome <laughs> the first time we did this. And I, I can't wait to do this again. It's a rare opportunity to do it twice, man. And and bam, you just hit the jackpot. Uh, that's awesome. Very cool. Um, now, I want to walk through just real quick some of the key points that we touched on in the previous workshop. Uh, but before we do, we really kind of need to cover our ass. Uh, even, even with these previous points, because some of these previous points will fall under the disclaimer. Karen, would you be so kind as to as to read that disclaimer, please? Absolutely. Cameron Wall, you're about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. For the second time. (laughs) Yes, for the second time. It's important you realize that everything said from this point forward by myself, Dave, or Brian might be complete bullshit. This is your story, and you decide what to use and what to cast aside, okay? Sounds awesome. It is awesome. It is absolutely awesome. And now we're completely off the hook. All right, real quick. Let me let me just share, Brian uh, and Cam and Cameron, or Cameron, Cameron and Cam, Karen and Cam, <laughs> uh, uh, let me just share the key points that I recall from our last workshop. Uh, uh, and then if there's any more that I missed, you can go ahead and add those to the list too. But for one of the, the key elements that I remember discussing was, first of all, the clarification and balancing of the technology, uh, uh, because the technology was, uh, there was a balancing factor there. If everything is so technologically amazing, why are there problems? Uh, And the possibility of making it a fusion of tech and magic, maybe even linking it to the gods in some way. Uh, We also discussed defining the specific contributions of the Paradisa culture and the Orion culture to the larger economy. What do they each bring to the game? Uh, and possibly establishing a resource shortage, which would explain why tensions are so high and maybe give us a bit of a ticking clock. Uh, we discussed blurring of the moral lines between Paradisa and Orion. Paradisa seemed very virtuous and lovely, and we were thinking there could be some debauchery and depravity going on in there. And Orion is painted as Republicans. I mean, not uh, as um, as as uh, these these conservative money people. Uh, uh, and we wanted to give them some some virtues as well, so that there's. There's a gray area, as, as Brian is so fond of, of pursuing. Uh, and uh, so there was that. And there was also uh, making Asher less of a grasping evil prick uh, and giving him some solid motivation uh, that the reader can get behind, giving him some virtues as well. Uh, we also discussed Prince Rowan's uh, uh, miraculous deus ex machina arrival. Actually, the opposite of deus ex machina, because he brings ruin uh, uh, out of the blue. We wanted to set him up earlier in the story and possibly have letters for from him as interludes uh, between the chapters, which we thought was very cool. And my final big thing was was not having Raj uh, be lured away or poisoned uh, away from uh, guarding Bane when uh, when Asher and his people take him, but rather have that be a conscious choice, uh, a choice between two things that he loves, Bane and something else, a student, a child, something that would preserve his agency and, and make it a conscious choice. Did that cover everything for you guys karen brian cam was there anything that i missed from that recap not that i can tell i think you nailed the highlights yeah um actually yeah because we had discussed almost right away that his title characters are don't seem to make much of a the lions (laughs) don't seem to be much in the story so we had discussed possibly writing the story through their eyes at different points right yes 
that was good and that was also a great way to get to know each lion then because their perspective would would uh, color uh how they saw the events that were unfolding that's right very cool all right excellent so so moving forward let's do a quick once around the table uh, uh and obviously these aren't first impressions now we've all kind of lived in this story for a few days um so so let's let's just take a, a once around the table again uh but but talk uh, maybe some other questions have come up or or discuss any discoveries or, or points that you'd like to explore in the ensuing brainstorm so brian kirk we'll start with you sir where, where are you at now as far as lions to jackals characters characters yeah i think uh, i mean you know in any story the characters are going to be your most important element you know we covered off a lot of plot points you know technology and so forth and i think that's still area worth exploring but i think in going through my second pass uh trying to nail these character downs i think would be something um to, to devote some time towards one of the things that i was thinking about um you know, you talk about Bane selecting the lions for their high levels of empathy for others. Couple thoughts here. One, you know, I don't know that that's the that would be the most desirable trait in a warrior or bodyguard. You know, if I was thinking about people who I wanted to cover my ass, I don't know that I would want them to be really sympathetic towards others as much as I would want them to just be sure they're going to, he's going to protect my ass. <laughs> I can see that. Although he's also making them immortal. For sure. One of the things I thought is, um, you know, would it be uh, worth considering getting to know the lions before they've undergone this, you know, bioengineering process? Ooh, uh, interesting. You know, therefore, you could, you could know them when they're more mortal. You could know more of their fallacies, uh, know more of their individual strengths and weaknesses. And perhaps the bioengineering could be tailored to enhance their specific individual strengths and minimize their specific individual weaknesses. You could um, even have this this uh, uh, oh god the 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 call of war that the, that Ilya incites as the deciding factor. You know, maybe Bane was was on the fence about the transformation. Mm. And right. war. Yeah, oh, now we need to do this, and now we 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 engage the process. That's a that's an intriguing possibility. It 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 shifts the balance of the story fairly dramatically, but I don't think necessarily in a bad way. What do you think, Cam? Oh, I I really like that idea. And and going back to Brian's point about the empathy, I mean, I I think Bane was thinking in the long term here. If if these guys are going to be immortal and they're they have any sort of um tendencies towards violence or craziness um, and they're not really empathetic towards other people they'd withdraw from society and they'd be useless as as a long-term sort of bodyguard and so that's I wanted to, to move the story forward hundreds of years for the for the next part of the story and so that's that's kind of the thinking behind that because I, I agree you know empathy is not what I would choose for the person having my back but I think Bane was thinking about maybe making this uh, making these guys as something more than just simple bodyguards. He's almost creating gods for all intents and purposes. You're creating immortal beings that no one can can get the better of, although they can emotionally. Uh, yeah. uh, but uh, so, yeah, I, I can see that. But, you know, if we do take the the uh, war, we need the lions now, uh, that, <laughs> that might push the, <laughs> the impetus well, I, out. Yeah, I also wonder if... if- Intel, like so, so the, the 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 qualities that that have been enhanced all seem fairly physical. You know, it's immortality, it's strength, it's quickness. 
it may be worth exploring, you know, he would want to maybe also enhance their intelligence and perhaps engineer in some of these, uh, you know, enhanced moral or ethical, uh, uh, you know, virtues. And in doing so, whose virtues is he giving them? You know what I mean? Is it his? You know, is it theirs? You know, does this transformation change them in a way that makes them more or less human or more or less true to who they actually are? And as time goes by, does that become a point of conflict or resistance in that they were, they didn't get to choose this kind of, you know, evolved personality that they've had to take on. You know what I mean? Those are just things that could. That's kind of intriguing. Yeah. Yeah, I like, I like that a lot. Let's 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 put a pin in that and, and circle around because that actually sparked a couple of ideas. Were there other characters, Brian, that you really wanted to dig into moving forward, or just all of yeah. them? Well, <laughs> both Bane and Ilya. I wanted to dig into their relationship. Yes, I agree. I agree. All right, we'll put a pin in that too. We will put them on the docket. Karen, what about you? Where where are you at for the story? First of all, I would disagree that empathy would make someone more suited to immortality. I think it would be a crippling force for you because as an immortal, everything you love is going to die. I think (laughs) that that would cause a lot of trouble. If you've ever read, you know, Anne Rice's books with her vampires, it, it is an extremely difficult thing and actually tends to make them withdraw more if they're empathetic because... There's no relief to it. It's it is endless loss. Excellent right. point. Excellent point. Holy crap. Okay. But also, we had established that. I mean, seriously, this is super ambitious, Cam. Super yes. ambitious. This is not one book. Yeah. And if it is, none of us can lift it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe all together we could, but yeah. 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 So we've established this is this is going to be more than one book, and. I think I like the idea of getting to know the lions. I like the idea of keeping this all getting to know the lions is important and really stopping it at the darkness and moving on into another book from there. Because if you try and pack too much into this book, not only will it be huge and take you forever, but it's just, it could get muddy. You know what I mean? If you try and put too much shit in all at once. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. And we've also established you will not make us wait eight years for the sequel. That's right. <laughs> you will not George R. R. Martin us, dude. So, no, actually, no. And, we'll and catch that, you. Yeah. Karen, Karen will hunt you down. Uh, and that, that's actually a good point, Karen. I, I had noticed the same thing as we were look, going through the story pitch, that that the you know the detonation of the city and the arrival of the darkness uh, uh, and even, you know, and, and the wounding thereof, but not the destruction, that's, that's a perfect end point. And and Cam, the, the description that you have afterwards, there's a lot of cultural evolution that takes place after this after that destruction of the city. You've got names of cities changing, you've got religions developing, and Bane is deified. That's a lot of time. And you'd actually have to I, I would think you'd have to like cut out fifty years in the narrative and and introduce people to the changes, because walking us through all of that, that would be a lot, I would think. So I'm I'm kind of with Karen on the you know the destruction of the city the the fleeing and the implications of that destruction and you know you can go ahead and say yes then the, the the lions are now jackals and they're traitors rah, and 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 have and have them all realize that um, the other point I'm sorry I, I sort of jumped your line there Karen was there anything else that you wanted to dive into for the workshop no that was mainly what sticks out to me right okay. now is just the sheer scope of this is massive. <laughs> 
Yeah, it is, and 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 breaking it down uh, into into its component stories, I think would would actually be very liberating for you, Cam, because you could actually take your time and really savor uh, uh, each of these these wonderful things. The other the the thing that. Um, in, in your tagline, you talk about the lions, Cam, being responsible for the destruction of Paradisia. But in the story, it's actually Ilya that destroys it. And the, the lions really don't have much to do with it other than Bane getting captured and burned on the cross. Do you see the lions having a more active uh, role in the destruction of Paradisia? You know, what I thought I would do is have Asher, as he is escaping from Paradisa, is that he's the only one, him and his group are the only ones that survive from uh, Ilya's fire. And so they get to write the narrative. And they're not going to say, hey, you know, this was on us or this, this was on Ilya. And I got to work on developing this a little bit. But um, I'd like them to try and scapegoat the lions and that's why they they lose their good name and that's why they're motivated to to gain it moving forward but i mean that's that's definitely somewhere okay. where i could use some polishing okay all right I, I think we can work with that i actually you know in in taking brian's idea of actually actually walking us through the the creation of the lions which i, I really kind of like uh and the and and bane basically creating gods and then looking at raj's choice to leave Bane uh, uh, unprotected, thinking he can take care of himself uh, while he goes and saves somebody else. I got this really kind of funky uh, Jesus-Judas thing mm. going on. And I'm wondering if, you know, rather than subjecting, of, of course Asher is going to do the propaganda thing and, and seize, you know, the high ground because the victors write, get to write history. But what if, what if all of the lions are tested and and only like Gabriel passes the test, or or maybe only Rook or Blaze or one of them uh, is able to do so. But all of them, because of that heady rush of godhood, you know this this could be a real awesome testament of you know the corruption of power, and an echo of the the same corruption that I think you kind of allude to that Orion has. You know, throwing its weight around. It's conservative. Violently conservative, militantly conservative. Uh, uh, I mean, people die for for getting married uh, with same sex marriage in Orion. That's that's serious, high level fanaticism there, uh, or, or fervency, I guess, of faith. Uh, uh, Zealotry. Zealotry, it really is. Yeah, and I think that word actually came up a couple of times in the last workshop as well. Uh, so you know, having the lions have that test of power and only have one of them pass it uh, uh, could be a very cool test. You know, maybe they deserve to be jackals. You know, maybe that's a question. Put that question in their heads from a character perspective. That's a deep, deep hole to come out of. And that's a cool thing for a writer to do. So there's that. And there's, there's other uh, uh, plot things and character things, but let's, let's, let's dive into the, the workshop proper here. Let's, let's see where else we can go with this. Uh, uh, let, let's talk about uh, uh, the relationship between Ilya and Bane. Brian, that was one of your, your, your key points to discuss. Where do you want to go with that? <clears throat> I just want to explore it further. Um, I think it seems like a lot is hinging on this. I think what's really hinging on their relationship is, is getting a love child that's going to serve purpose later on. Would you call that, would you consider that correct, 
Cam? Or is that, is that one of the big uh, takeaways from their love connection? Yeah, because I, I wanted that in the in the following story um, right. for, for his line to have been uh, maintained for for reasons that I, again, I haven't fully developed yet, but um, yeah. Well, I like that. Yeah. So, so I, my kind of initial struggle is I just feel like their love connection feels a little bit too convenient for me. Yeah. It feels like something you would expect to happen. You know what I mean? These two leaders come together, they're supposed to be on opposite ends, but yet they're, they can't resist each other. And they have this, you know, uh, secret love affair that, that become, you know, that it just feels a little familiar to me. Um, we had talked about what this secret resource, this powerful resource is that, that they're, you know, ha- they have control over that, that um, o- Orion is trying to take and that perhaps that could have, so- it could be some sort of a divine energy or, a, or, you know, a source of magic. What I was thinking is what if, and my thoughts are kind of static, so, so let me kind of think through this and we can try and piece it together. What if Ilya uh, tempts Bane with this power source? And, and tempts to, you know, tries to kind of lure him to, to her side. So he kind of gets a glimpse of, of what it is that this, you know, source of power, how it creates, you know, how it leads to kind of the virtuous society that they have, um, you know, gets kind of spellbound by its magic or, or its potency. They continue to have their friction of negotiations, which maybe builds the, the power up further. And ultimately, rather than them have a love affair that results in a child, what if there was some sort of an immaculate conception that resulted from their, this tension between the two of them and their closeness to this divine source? And that immaculate conception could play later on when this, when, when, um, and I'm drawing the blank on him, Asher, I believe, tries to create this religion. Because almost all religions have a basis in a virgin birth. Okay. So hold on, Brian. You trying to rob us of the nookie here? <laughs> yeah, I guess I. Well, you know what? I, you know what? Yeah, a little bit. I, I, <laughs> Karen wanted a sex scene, man. I did. But I wonder if you can be erotic, but through kind of a spiritual uh, union versus a physical union. You know what I mean? And if that wouldn't create a more, if that wouldn't be less expected, and if that wouldn't create potentially a more potent. Um, lineage to you know to 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 both of them and oh i forgot about this part and what if that's what triggers or awakens the darkness in the east because we talked about that kind of being a a counterbalancing agent so this this divine source impregnates Ilya through their something or other that conception awakens this source to come and maybe snuff it out interesting and, and I yet, actually like that. Yeah, I do too. And and honestly, we we don't have to say whether it's immaculate or not. No, you don't. You know, it, you know, we we and and Karen, this does deny you of a sex scene, unfortunately. I know. <laughs> but but there could be you know a fade to black uh, with some questions raised. Did they did they hit the sack or not? I don't know. And and raise enough questions, and then have everybody say it's immaculate conception. No, it's not. They 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 shagged. No, it's not. Blah blah blah. And and leave that as a question. To be answered in a in a future story, but still, Brian, having that same mojo, that same potency, uh, uh, and and whether it's immaculate or not, having the the notion of that union between the two of them being the tipping point, uh, right. that that's I like that. I think that's got good mojo. Interestingly, while you were talking about that, I was thinking, you know, what if what if she gives Bane a taste of that power? 
Mm-hmm. You know, here, here, here are the the here's a, a power cell or whatever it is. You know, power crystal, whatever it is. Uh, a, a, a taste of it in good faith as as part of a bargaining chip during their initial negotiations, and Bane ends up using that. That's exactly what he needs to create the lions. It, it's not enough to create the army that he promised Asher or his king or whoever's in charge at Orion, but it's enough to create five men. And he does it with yeah. the power from Paradiso. Oh, that's the irony. Oh, the irony. And what does he have to give in return? So maybe he has to give part of himself, part of his DNA, part of his seed. You know what I mean? Sure. Maybe. And then yeah, that's so where we get the nookie still. But what if it's close to the power source? The power source possesses or invades him. So then we get this divine child interjection into in the, the whole thing. And I still get the nookie. And you get the nookie, <laughs> and, and we totally. and the, the design pre- divine presence is there and infuses their love because it is so potent. Sure, that works too. That that'll be a Cam choice. We'll we'll let Cam make that call. <laughs> well, uh, well, I like that. I think that alleviates my my minor issue of, of it just being a little convenient, and it's something that that maybe you know what I mean. So so anything you can do to to, to give that a little bit more of a twist, I think, would be well, helpful. What if one of these new pantheon of gods? Because I I really like that idea and developing that into. Um, their personalities bleed into the lions. What if one of these pantheon of gods takes Bane's shape and he has relations with Ilya? Mm-hmm. <laughs> do a Zeus, <laughs> do a Zeus thing, basically. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, that may be a little tropey, but um, okay. Now know, I'm going to go all nobilis read erotica on you all and say, what <laughs> if the gods possess the lions and the lions? Uh, all get together at once and there's this big orgy. Yeah, okay. Yay! (laughs) Awesome! Uh, Yeah, no, I... Yes, I, I think there's I think there's mojo there to be played with, uh, definitely. Well, and I agree. I, I I felt you know one of the things that I noticed about about Ilya and and Bane's relationship is as the story narrative as it's, as, as it exists now is Bane shows up and says no you can't do the wedding, uh, uh, and she says I'm gonna do the wedding and get the hell out and Bane leaves goes back to uh, Orion and then oh it's war and and Bane is back with the army this time and and now somehow in the midst of conflict this romance occurs and that's kind of a sticking point for me where where cameron did you see Ilya, who is defending her city and bane the leader of the army attacking the city where do you see love blooming in 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 that physical scenario of how the hell do they get together long enough to have love bloom in that you know, I, I took some notes on this and I, I thought about um, having Ilya be this very beautiful woman who is is used to um, having men fall at her feet from their looks and having Bane be somebody that doesn't. I mean, he sees through that and sees maybe to a deeper level with her. And I, you know, I haven't really figured out what draws her to him. Um, well, but let me, let me suggest I, this first. Yeah. Make her not pretty. Okay. And have everyone fall over her for her power. Okay. I like and, that. And and have Bane uh, uh, fall in love with her, not for her looks, but for her strength and for her commis- commitment to her people and her cause. And her see, and that's the other problem I have is she's kind of a bitch. Uh, uh, she's like, you know, I, I want to, I want a war. 
I want a war with Orion. Screw Orion. I'm going to, I'm going to use the love of my niece and her lover as a leverage to start a war. And then her response to the war is a siege. That was the other thing is like, she needs a better plan than to start a war and then basically cower behind the walls of her city while Orion, if you're going to start a war, you better have a plan to win, you know? So I'm, I'm going to say, you know, she, we need to get some battlefield action here. She needs, there needs to be something that happens between the siege, uh, between the inciting of war and the siege of Paradisia that shows Ilya's competence and the possibility that she could win. We need a war before we have the final siege. I would love to write some war in there. <laughs> All right. What do you what do you guys think? Is that does that make sense? Totally. Okay. All right. So so there needs to be a war, and that you know creates these shifting lines, and now there can be you know treaties and and meetings of diplomats and so on, and you can have opportunities for Bane and Ilya to to share space, uh, uh, or or you know daring raids behind enemy lines, and oh look, there's Ilya and there's Bane, and ho ho, and hoo hoo, and and. Karen takes over. Um, and, and, and so now you've got that. Plus, it's, it makes Ilya a stronger character because she, does, she has a plan. Uh, uh, and that, that was mostly what I really wanted to see was the competency of Ilya in that. So yeah. that's, yeah, that's, I, that's I, re- I really like that. And, and maybe, maybe part of it is she almost wins yes. against Orion. She almost wins. And then she's for, you know, either she's betrayed or, or, or something like that, but, and then she's forced to retreat and that could lead into. She's betrayed the, by Bane. She is yes. betrayed by Bane. Yes. Like his that. honor wins out over his lust. That's right. <laughs> or, or his love. Or his love. I mean, it could be. It could be. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure there's there's some physical desire there as well. Uh, uh, but but you know, putting his honor above his love. That's a. I would call that a sin, at least from a romantic standpoint, from a human standpoint. Uh, uh, but then that's me personally. Now now, Brian, Karen, you might disagree with that. What well, you know, and that's kind of one of those cool gray areas where did he do right? You know, certainly Ilya's going to be pissed. Uh, uh, but if Bane betrays her, outmaneuvers her, uses some information he got from her uh, uh, during pillow talk or whatever and uses it against her uh, because that's what he has to do. And then later on, he realizes he probably made the wrong choice. Uh, it's probably when he's burning on the cross. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. bad choice. So that that's that's a, that's just a cool, you know, let's let's make it as hard as possible for these two to get together. So. Karen, where do you want to go? Well, back to what you'd said, that really illustrates the difference between the two countries, too, because it would be a sin in Paradiso to put your honor above your love. But in Orion, I think the opposite would hold true. Yes. Your honor would be more important than love. Absolutely. Otherwise, I just, I keep getting drugged back to those lions. It is just absolutely imperative that you completely flesh these creatures out because in as written in your presentation i really don't think they even have a place in the story until the following book so it's very very important that you start off you know let us get to know them make them the story because i really feel like this is Ilya's story 
you know, and Bane and Asher's. I want this to be the lion's story. What do you think about pulling POV from Bane and Ilya and Asher all together and have exclusively POV through the lions? I see. I really like that. And I like the idea that, um, where it would be hard to get one of those characters in, um, you know, we can, we can insert them and, and say, you know, Hey, Orion has control over Paradiso. So it's assigning one of the lions to guard Ilya, which is how he gets into, uh, you know, one of the lions can get into her POV. Right. Absolutely. That story. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and sending one of, you know, sending the, the, the sneaky one, uh, uh, into Orion for, for recon and, and, you know, or maybe sabotage or something, you know, there, there's lots of opportunities, but now these guys are doing stuff and, and we're, we're experiencing their world. And, you know, it's almost like this wonderful, it, it would be like looking at Guinevere, Arthur and, oh my God, are we going to go there? Guinevere, Arthur and Lancelot. <laughs> Could that be Bane, Archer, and Ilya? Uh, oh, yay. man. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> Make your guard for Ilya one of the females. Okay. Yes. Because this guard is going to be there when she bathes. This guard is going to be there when she sleeps. It has to, it should be a female. Yeah. Well, now, okay, now hold on a second. Now, these lions are Orion warriors, right, Cam? I mean, that's the way it's written now, but maybe we could give them more of a, an international flair. Cause okay. I, I do want them to be pulled from different parts of society. I want them to be from different cultures. Um, you know, I want to get into that, make sure they're not all the same. Okay. They're the, uh, they're the United Nations. Yeah. <laughs> United Nations <laughs> peacekeeping force. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Now that would be, see, that would require Bane then to take an even higher ground I guess, uh, uh, you know, the impetus we talked about at the beginning was it's war against Paradiso, so I need to create my lions. And he does. And of course, he would create them from Orion patriots. Uh, and what we're talking about here is something different. Uh, he would have to, he'd have to create them before war. Sure. Or maybe he created it and sent, sent them in. Uh, maybe their personality is not known and sent them in as a, as a servant or, a, you know, somebody who, who snuck in and through, um, through their strength of arms or through whatever skills they show, they yeah. rise real, re- uh, real quickly. Yeah. It's, it's just the, the challenge then becomes the, the, the opportunity to meet them before they become gods, uh, mm-hmm. uh and, and creating that impetus moment. Cause Holy crap. I mean, there's the whole selection process and that's going to be an ongoing thing. And, and we don't want it to be, we, we, we need to keep the story, Haste and and moving forward uh, uh, as as quickly as possible. I don't know. I don't know. We 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 can sit on that. We can we can sit on that for now. Brian, any any other any other character bits that you want to get into? You want to you want to talk about Asher a little bit? I think we can. Yeah, I I, I keep going back to the um, to that resource too. I think there's a lot. There's a potential you know big role for that 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 could play. And I'm not exactly sure we've 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 reached a decision of what that resource is because if it's a source of power, uh, one thing that could be interesting is if, uh, as they, as they kind of launch into war and they go into battle, maybe the farther Ilya and her people get away from their power source, unbeknownst to them, it starts, they, they, their power begins to wane. 
You know what I mean? Maybe she, if she is this strong, powerful person, it was uh, in large part due to her proximity to this power source. So as she gets away from it, she realizes maybe her, she's, she, her leadership, you know, she doesn't have the same instincts. She doesn't have, you know, and she starts to, she becomes more confused and more vulnerable. And that may be what drives them to retreat a little bit to get back towards that power source. And maybe the opposite happens when Orion comes. Maybe it, it, it compromises some of their value systems, you know what I mean? Or maybe it makes them, their judgment change you know, from what it normally is. Um, nice. Yeah. So I think, yeah. that, uh, so anyway, so I just, I, I think that that power, that resources is, is, could be a really, uh, uh, important part of your story. And I'm trying to figure out what that is. Yeah. I think we all are. I'm, my, my concern with that, Brian is, is removing some of Ilya's agency, uh, uh, and, and power as a, as a central character, uh, because ba- basically she's addicted to the power. Uh, uh, and, and her strength and her, her capability comes from that proximity. And I guess, I guess you could, you could work that, uh, and, and make that, cause that does have, you're right. That has some very cool far reaching, uh, implications well, and makes the, the power a part of a character in the story. It makes the power of a character in the story. Plus, I don't know if you've, you know, when you have a crisis of confidence, you know what I mean? I don't know if you've ever gone, th- like when you start writing and you think you're the best writer in the world and then you get a ton of rejection. <laughs> You know what I mean? And then you realize you're just like somebody else. You know what yeah. I mean? I suck. <laughs> right. so there's, you know, there, there's nothing worse than when that when that veil of confidence, you know, falls. You know what I mean? So it's sure. like, and, and if some if it's unexpected towards her, and it's and it's in the most, it's during the time when she needs that the most. You know, and she realizes that maybe that 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 confidence and that power source isn't inside her. It's external, and she's been it, leeching from it. You know, I don't know. Right. It just could. Create, uh, nice character problems, or or it could be like an augmenter. It, it, it could be like mm-hmm. a, a power cocaine, where whatever right. your mental state is, it, it refines it and hones it. And if you have that crisis of faith, if you start thinking that you're not as good as you were, it will affirm that as well, uh, right. uh, and, and begin a, a wobbling spiral. You know, it doesn't have to necessarily be, uh, uh, oh God, I suck. It could just be, you know, her choices become more and more bloodthirsty or right. or less and less aligned to the true leader that she had established herself and maybe Bane could be the one that brings her back to that uh, uh and 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 get her back on course just in time for him to be taken crucified and burned yeah so. i like that or i also like perhaps as bane and the orions get closer to paradisia in that power source maybe that power source you know maybe they become a little bit more compassionate than they're accustomed to. They're coming there to just you know tear the walls down and overrule the city. And then all of a sudden they get confused with these feelings of compassion and, and empathy towards these people that they're supposed to slaughter. I can see that. I can absolutely see that. And I'm going to go ahead and do a 180 on what I just said, uh, uh, because in, in the spirit of diversity and strong female characters, we don't need the guy to save the girl. Let's flip that right now uh, yeah. uh, and have the girl save the guy or or somehow make work that around. I'm, I just want to put that on the table. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right, Karen. Anything else you want to dive into? Because we've 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 covered some even more awesome ground. It's kind of blowing my mind here. 
I know. I feel as though instead of refining this idea, we've just given him like five books, which is incredibly lucrative in this market right now. So you're welcome. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You. I mean, you could you could actually, you know, I'm thinking of of you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but the 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 Guinevere, Arthur, and and Lancelot vibe. I'm getting the the Asher as Arthur. Uh, uh, Ilya as Guinevere, or maybe Ilya as Arthur, and and Asher as Guinevere. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's no, there's no reason that doesn't work, but definitely Bane is the Lancelot character, uh, uh, and like in those legends, he falls. Uh, and and that was one last question I want to have before we take this home, Cameron. Uh, did Bane use his super soldier mojo on himself? He did not. And, you know, that's something why, that I wanted to explore not? a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. I mean, because the, the obvious answer is why wouldn't you make yourself immortal? Um, and I thought maybe to introduce uh, an external player, um, somebody that told him, you know, if you do this to yourself, bad things will happen. Um, you know, maybe one of the gods stepped in and said, but I wanted there to be um, a reason that he chose not to do it to himself and to do it to others. Um, even though it sounds like a really awesome thing. Well, maybe just humility. You know, maybe but that maybe- could be a flaw of his because, yeah, and but maybe he recognizes that being immortal wouldn't necessarily be that great of a thing. Yeah. and and Or maybe they're guinea pigs. Yeah. Yeah. He, maybe, ooh, maybe immortality wasn't the plan. Mm. And it's, it's a side effect. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which now frees us from all that moral obligation and everything. And, and, you know, yes, your, your augmented strength and, and what you, what you touch becomes empowered and you get to, oh crap. And all of your cells automatically regenerate. I just <laughs> made you immortal. Fuck. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> Which could be a very cool crisis of faith. And what a great scene. Oh, my God. Gabriel is dead. We mourn his death. Oh, weeping tears. I'm not dead yet. No, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that. <laughs> but, but you know, have him take that first breath of life and, and come back. And holy crap, what does that do to somebody when you come back from death? What do you see? How does that change you? You know, that's, see, God, Cam, there's so much cool stuff that you can play with in here. Uh, yeah, don't tell us. Don't <laughs> tell us all their strengths from the enhancement. Let us learn them. Yeah, let it be an experiment. Let it be, you know, uh, some uh, a, a choice of need. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't know, but if I don't do this, we're going to die or something like that. Uh, uh, and then, you know, Bane has to deal with his consequences. That was the other thing. Uh, no, I'll save that for my final thoughts. Um Cam, anything else you want us to 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 wax on before we go into the wrap up segment? <laughs> I mean, my mind is pretty much blown right now. So I, I'm just trying to take as many notes as I can. <laughs> Roger that. Roger that. All right, then let's let's go ahead and segue gracefully into uh, uh, that final wrap up segment where we take all this extra. God, you got a double dose of literary gold. I'm feeling the weight of it, man. There's some good stuff here. <laughs> Let, let's take one last quick turn around the table and and give Cam some final thoughts uh, and give him even more literary gold than one mortal could possibly bear. Uh, Brian Kirk, we'll start with you, sir. What final thoughts for 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 Cam? Uh, I, I think we covered a lot of ground. You know, I, I, I've never been a good uh, uh, classmate, so I, I didn't take notes here. I just kind of ripped <laughs> it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really focus on the lines. Lines are your story, so make sure that's your emphasis and make them real and make them uh, fallible and make them have them their own individuality. Yeah, 
Definitely, definitely, and and I, I I think there's there's we've we've opened up opportunities for that to happen now. Yeah, definitely. Karen, what about you? A hundred and ten percent. What Brian just said, and I'll add to it. <laughs> make that power its own character too, because the darkness will be. Ooh, yes, excellent point. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that now. Between what you what you just said and what Brian said, uh, I can see Cameron. The power, uh, uh, even the gods don't understand it. It's it's one of those forces of nature, and with the, with the darkness being its its balance, not its antithesis, not its negation, its balance. Uh, yeah, that's badass. For me, the one thought that occurred to me, and it's a character thing, and it's it's not a big thing in the grand scheme of things, but maybe it is. Um, when Bane gets taken, have him know it. Have him know that, hmm, circumstances have aligned this way and that. I understand what's coming, and have him have the the presence, the maybe the the foresight, the prescience to understand what's going to happen, and let him accept that crucifixion. Maybe maybe he feels guilty over the creation of the lions, and he feels like this is his just reward. Maybe he's the one that sends Raj away. Mm. And and opens the door to Asher's assassins, SWAT team, whatever that, that that take him to that that citadel. You know, this is his crisis of faith, and ultimately he fails. He gives up. He gives up hope. Or maybe he has some prescient vision from touching the power that he knows that he. You know, kind of like Paul Atreides. You know, I, I can see the future. This has got to happen in order for the good things to come. I don't know. Um, the other thought that I had, uh, another Bane factor, was the notion that Asher learns about Bane and Ilya's affair, their love. And he goes to Bane and tries to reason with him. Bane's a smart guy. If he turns down Asher, he cannot believe he's just going to walk away from that unscathed. You know, in fact, that's probably a crisis point. Let's have them be good friends up to this point. You know, I know you have Gabriel as his his you know his his best bud that he made immortal. Maybe make Asher his best friend, and have this moment, this choice where Asher is forcing him to deny his love in the name of his country. Have that be the breaking point for their relationship, and at that point, it breaks Archer or Asher. He becomes. The, the 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 scheming manipulator up to this point it's it's Asher and Bane working together or yeah working that in giving more heart connections uh for Bane and Asher and Ilya I think is just going to make the whole story just really take root in the reader's hearts and and really give you as a writer you're, you're going to be in that zone we were talking about in the 20 minutes with you're going to find that that fugue state taking you over a time and time again so, all right, cool, fabulous. Holy crap, we did it again. I didn't know if <laughs> we, we did could, it. but holy crap, we did. 
Oh, dude, Cameron, the offer still stands, man. You write this sucker. You put it out there in the world. And it only has to be book one, dude. You don't have to write this whole story. <laughs> just, just give us book one uh, uh, and, and put it out there in the world. And, and we will have you back and we will knight you. We will make you a knight of the round table. Uh, uh, and there'll be, I don't know, something extra, some, some maybe a badge of, uh, you know, double gold or something, <laughs> something like that. Uh, but are you down with that? Can we make that happen, dude? I'll get this out as soon as I can. I've got so <laughs> much, so many good ideas now, and uh, I can't wait to just hit the, hit the keyboard later tonight. Fabulous. We will start sharpening the knighting swords now. <laughs> Excellent. Cameron Walt, dude, it's a bold thing to stride up not once but twice and have us uh, dive into your brain and into your sweet, sweet story. Uh, dude, it was a great feast and excellent stuff. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks a lot, Dave. And, and again, thanks, CW, and, and thanks, Brian. This was awesome. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank it you. was. <laughs> it was Thank good you. times. Good times. And Brian, uh, once again, you affirmed the reason why we bring seasoned veterans into this arena of brainstorming goodness. Excellent thoughts. Very cool insights. You really boosted the level of the discussion. I really appreciate it, man. Uh, me as well. Thank you. I yeah. enjoyed it. You bet. You bet. Karen, co-host, guest host, panelist. We need to get you on to do a story. Uh, I know. I know. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. But until that happens, this has been fabulous. And, and it's been a delight having you in the co-host chair beside me. Thank you so much, ma'am. Oh, thank you for having me. You know I love it. <laughs> I do. I do. And we'll do it again. I promise. I promise. And as long as we're doling out the gratitude, dear friends, thank you for hitting that play button. Until you do that, we're just four people on a Skype line having a really good time. Granted, I don't mean to diminish the, the, the mojo of the brainstorm, but we share it with the world for a reason so that you can hit that play button and, and pocket some literary gold for yourself. So thank you for doing that. And if you're, if you're feeling the weight of that gold and you're itching to get back to the keyboard you know pay it forward a little bit go ahead and blog about us spread the word share a facebook post let people know about the round table so that our listenership can grow and more people can benefit from the awesomeness that unfolds every week here and i'll tell you i don't know how we do it because i'm spent right now which is this is the second time in the same story and i'm double exhausted but in seven days, like the phoenix from the ashes, we will rise again and we will have another fabulous guest host coming on to share their wisdom and insight. We'll have a bold and courageous guest writer laying out their story for brainstorming goodness, more roundtable fabulosity by all. But it's seven days. I know. I know it's seven days away, and that's a long damn time. Karen, help us out. What can our listeners do between now and seven days from now to, to, to make that time just, just whiz by? Well, we're sliding into the dog days of summer. Mm. It's hot. It's steamy. And since my new friend Brian tried to rob us of the nookie, <laughs> I want you to write a love letter to your favorite literary hero or villain. Tell them all the dirty things you want them to do to you. There you go. There you go. Karen will not be denied the nookie. <laughs> it must happen. That's actually very cool. Writing a love letter to your to your favorite video. You know, of course, the, the Loki letters are going to be written high and tall. Because <laughs> uh, apparently he's the favorite villain. Uh, uh, but yeah, ooh, what about Ultron? Ultron could be kind of <laughs> kinky, right? Right? Yeah. 
Definitely yeah. sit down, write a letter to that to that to that favorite villain or hero or character, and uh, confess some secrets and uh, express some desires. That sounds lovely. And I will tell you, as I always do, dear friends, you find what you're looking for. So look for the top shelf blue label goodness. Look for that Christmas present at the back of the tree. If you look for that awesomeness out there in the world, I promise you, friends, you will find it. We'll be back in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.